What's up everyone, it's Emmanuel and you're listening to Crypto Testers, a new podcast focusing on consumer applications in the crypto industry. In today's episode, I talk to Xen, who is the COO of blockchain.com. Blockchain is a super interesting company. They have been in the space for a very long time. They were the first to build a non-custodial web wallet that is now used by more than 40 million users. They also run a blockchain explorer and recently built an exchange. We talk about what went into the making of the exchange, about how they are setting themselves apart from other popular exchanges, about the company's opinion on DeFi and different projects in the DeFi space. We also talk about stablecoins and why blockchain specifically chose Paxos and much more. But before, I want to thank Bitwalla for sponsoring the podcast. Bitwalla is Germany's crypto flagship company. They provide a European bank account with integrated Bitcoin and Ethereum wallets, which allow you to easily move your money between your crypto wallets and your bank account. They also provide you with a debit card that makes it even easier to spend your crypto in stores and online, basically anywhere where MasterCard cards are accepted. Another advantage of the bank account is that your euro deposits are protected up until 100,000 euros. So for those of you who want to manage all of the finances in one app, both fiat and crypto, Bitwalla is the way to go. Hi, Xen. Hey. Yeah, pleasure to have you on the podcast. Not every day that I have a real crypto OG like blockchain on the podcast. Um, you guys have been in the space almost longer than anyone, so I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I have lots of questions, um, but can you maybe start by introducing yourself and explain how you got to join blockchain? Yeah, sure. So my name's Zen. My background is in traditional finance, um, investment banking and trading. I came into contact with blockchain.com um, Four, about four years ago um, and at the time I was um, leading um, or one of the leaders um, around a, a project called the utility settlement coin which is basically a interbank project to create a digital cash instrument uh, using central banks and uh, other investment banks and that project really led me down the, the rabbit hole towards blockchain technology and crypto. And it became very clear to me that the future of money would be digital. And with that thesis, the best place to be and the best place to, to grow um, and, and to explore this area would be a company focused on digital wallets and crypto. Um, and so I... Uh, I joined blockchain um, three years ago and have been doing exactly that ever since. Cool. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. There are many people from the traditional finance space that go into the crypto space because they just realize that, yeah, like you, that money goes digital. Yeah, can you talk a little about uh, blockchain as a company? You guys have a bunch of products, not just one. So you have the wallet but you also have a block explorer and uh, recently you launched an exchange. Can you walk us through each of those and maybe also how they fit together into the 
blockchain ecosystem? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, blockchain.com is very much a platform these days. Um, and one way to think about it is we have the consumer side of the platform and the institutional side. And on each side, we look to provide products which serve as many customer needs as, as possible. So on the consumer side, we have obviously the blockchain wallet, which is where people go to discover crypto, to use crypto, to really uh, use crypto in a way that provides utility to everyday life. So sending and receiving, storing securely, um, and also trading within the wallet via our uh, non-custodial trading product, which we call Swap. Uh, and you can also buy and sell um, crypto from, from the wallet using, using fiat in your bank account. We then have the, the Explorer, which is really part of our overall data product set, which is where we provide information, uh, which is useful for people who are looking at blockchains, either looking at a particular transaction or the mempool or the hash rate. Um, and we see a lot of traffic go to, to the Block Explorer and our data products for that reason. And yes, we've recently launched the Exchange, which is a more high-end active trading product for both consumers and more sophisticated traders as well. And that brings us on to the institutional side, which is where we provide similar services, but to a different client set. And that includes a full-blown markets operation, which uh, encompasses OTC trading, um, liquidity with market makers, a large uh, lending operation, and other structured products and asset management, uh, such as uh, our venture fund. Um, and within that, we have our, um, our research department as well, led by Garrett Heilman, um, a fantastic economist uh, who publishes some great research. So it really fits under that broad um, umbrella of the blockchain platform. And a lot of these products work together really well from a, um, a synergies perspective. Yeah. I have seen also um, that nowadays in the blockchain wallet, when you want to buy crypto, it actually goes through the blockchain exchange. So instead of utilizing like a third party uh, on-ramp provider, so you're really using your exchange to improve the user experience in the wallet. But I, I want to talk more about the exchange. But first, I, I would like to ask a question about the Block Explorer, because I've been very um, interested personally to know kind of what is the business model behind the Block Explorer? Is it uh, just gaining a lot of traffic by people tr like looking for uh, some information if their transaction has been validated or not, and then you serve some ads on that website, or is there more behind it? So the, the business model of the Block Explorer is similar to business models of, of many uh, internet uh, sites. Um, and yes, uh, we do uh, provide ads on the Explorer, um, but also we use the Explorer as a gateway into our own ecosystem. So people may come to the Block Explorer to, to find out about a particular transaction, but they may also have another need. Uh, maybe it's trading, maybe it's security, uh, which we can also serve them through our other product sets as well. So the, the Block Explorer is a great product in terms of traffic, 
but it's also a great product because it provides real utility to crypto users and that's what's important i think as long as we're building useful products which people use then you can build a business strategy around that gotcha and how do you compete against other blockchain explorers are your users do they have like one product uh, that they have been using for a couple of years and they just always come back to your blockchain explorer or is that very much like a um, scenario where people are just you know googling blockchain explorer and then you guys just happen to rank number one there or yeah how do you gain users in in that industry yeah so a bit of both really The, the Block Explorer was obviously the first blockchain.info product, as it was named back then. So you have a lot of users who use it because historically they've used it and fundamentally they trust it. People trust the information provided by the Block Explorer because it's built by a blockchain, um, but also because it's been around for a long time. Uh, but also we have fresh traffic from, uh, from search. Many search phrases will bring up the blockchain explorer i think if you search for bitcoin hash rate for example which might be quite popular mm. around the halvening coming up the, the bitcoin block explorer for the blockchain.com platform will come up first um, so i think it's a combination of older users but also fresh users looking to find information yeah do, do you have any thesis of where um, blockchain explorers are headed is that a product that is just gonna stay the same over the next couple of years you know just doing its thing providing information about the blockchain state to users or do you think it's gonna fundamentally change and turn into something way way more sophisticated i think it will will change quite dramatically but that's built on my view that the the market in general will evolve and grow quite dramatically uh, and change um, a lot in the next few years so as the the blockchain ecosystem and, and crypto assets more broadly evolve and people start using them for different things, um, then the need for data around that use grows and therefore the requirements of the Block Explorer increase as well. So I think the, the Block Explorer will increase uh, and change, but only if and when the overall ecosystem grows. Yeah, recently you added an exchange, which I'm a big fan of, by the way. Can you talk a bit about that whole experience, building it up from scratch, basically? I mean, it must have been quite some work, like other exchanges had years to get to where they are now, and you basically had to catch up in a couple of months and come up with something as good. Can you talk, yeah, about that whole experience and, and maybe while you're at it, also explain how an exchange works? Like what are the building blocks when you uh, build it from scratch? Yeah, sure. So yeah, building from scratch was quite a challenge. Uh, but fortunately, we have a fantastic engineering and operations and markets team here at Blockchain. And the guys did an amazing job to, to bring that to market in such a short period of time. But yes, it's a, it's a huge undertaking. And like you say, a lot goes in under the hood, which you may not realize when, when using the exchange on the front end. Um, I guess in terms of building blocks, you have the, the trading backend infrastructure. So that includes uh, a matching engine. So that basically matches one trade against another because essentially an exchange is a marketplace where you go to put in an order to buy, buy or sell, and that will be matched up against 
another person and a matching engine is, is used for that. We brought in a chap called Tom Haller to lead the, the build out of the matching engine. Uh, he was previously the chief architect at NICE and one of the most renowned uh, builders of matching engines in the world, which allowed us to build an extremely fast and high performing matching engine. Um, along with the matching engine, you have a risk engine, which basically monitors the, the risk of client funds um, and whether or not people can place and execute trades based on what they have in terms of custody. And you have the, the ledger, which um, is, of course, the record of who owns what on the exchange. And then you have the, the crypto backend, which is all about the, the custody of funds using the, the crypto uh, engineering architecture we have built also for, for other products. And then, of course, you have the, the front end and the, the user interface, which is what you see on the screen and, and how you interact with, with the exchange. Uh, you also have the components around operations, particularly involving fiat on-ramping. So we have integrations with a number of banks around the world. In fact, we have a large banking network uh, across Europe, US, and in other regions as well. And then we have the onboarding itself. So the process of going through verification, which requires you to give certain information about yourself to us so that we can do KYC. We had built up a huge um, onboarding operation related to the airdrop program we've launched a few years ago. And so we got in the habit of being able to onboard hundreds of thousands of people a day uh, through that system at very high speeds. And then I guess the um, the final part is the, the overall trust and reliability of, of the exchange as well. So the, the brand, uh, the way we talk about it, and the, the types of products we, we deliver and the assets we, we, we list. Yeah, that's super interesting. And for example, the crypto custody, did you build that in-house or did you use a custody provider like BitGo or yeah, Coinbase Custody? There are many. Um, or did you build it on your own? That's all be built, built in-house. Okay. Yeah. Um, how are you trying to differentiate your exchange from other exchanges that have been around for a long time, like Kraken or Binance? I know that yeah, some exchanges have some very uh, sophisticated products like futures or margin trading, all of that. It seems like your exchange is a bit more retail orientated with a very good ux nice fiat on-ramp options but less of that complicated trading products let's say yeah would you agree to that or how yeah how are you trying to differentiate it from others well i think first things first you get the basics right and then you grow from there and so we focused on those basics so initially uh, spot trading um, and looking to make that trading experience as seamless and simple for, for retail users, but also providing the functionality for you know, very sophisticated traders who trade either via the front-end uh, GUI or via the API, or even uh, co-locate um, in our own data center. So we have a, a very differentiated offering uh, to the different client sets we have. In terms of what we offer compared to the competition, you're right, it's a, it's a It's a pretty fierce marketplace right now um, and, and lots of exchanges out there. We really focused on a few things. Uh, one, the fiat on-ramps. So we have banking capability for US dollar, for euros, 
the sterling, the Turkish lira now, um, and we're looking at other currencies as well. And not only do we support those currencies, we do so at the very highest end in terms of quality. So within the UK, we're a member of the faster payment scheme, which allows people to deposit sterling into the exchange in minutes and start trading within minutes. So one, given our fast onboarding and verification speed, which is also minutes or even seconds, a person can literally go from starting onboarding from, from zero to trading in, in under five minutes with a fully funded, funded account, which we think is a, a really um, compelling offering. And, and then once people are trading, they benefit from the, uh, the simple trading UI, uh, which we designed uh, specifically to make trading easy and, and clear to understand what's happening onto your portfolio. But also we focused very much on providing top tier support. So we have a fantastic customer success team who focus on providing real-time support to, to customers uh, via live chat uh, within the exchange. So at any moment, you can chat live to a, a person within our support team and have any issues dealt with super quickly. And then finally, the, um, the exchange is connected directly to the wallet via the uh, product called Blockchain Connect or wallet linking. And basically, that means you can very quickly move funds into the exchange, trade, but then move your funds out of the exchange in your non-custodial wallet, which is, of course, where you can control your own funds, you manage the private keys, and they're not at risk to any third party or, or centralized exchange, be that us or anybody else. Yeah. Yeah, I very much agree about the importance of instant fiat deposit options. I um, observe myself every time, you know, when price is increasing, I uh, want to buy very impulsively and I turn towards the options that are fast, like Coinbase, for example, just because I can buy with credit card and my credit card is on file, I can buy with one tap. Although I know I pay like 30 or 40 euros uh, for a 600 euro trade. It's very stupid, but yeah, when you want to buy quickly, it's, um, it's very convenient to, to be able to. So I think an exchange that offers instant deposits like you mentioned with faster payments in the UK or instant SEPA in, in Europe and, and the other uh, national or regional payment integrations, I think you'll have a, a big advantage. Um, yeah, and you mentioned the UK. Is that your strongest market because you're sort of from there? Or can you talk a bit, or can you yeah, make a breakdown on which are your strongest markets? Sure. Um... I mean, that depends slightly about which product we're talking about. But in general, the, the blockchain platform is global. Uh, we have users in almost every country around the world, apart from those which are sanctioned or uh, we can't serve for, for some reason uh, on the regulatory side. And so we have logins from, from countries all over. In, in terms of where um, a large amount of our customers come from, we, we do have a, a strong footing in the US, but we're very strong in Europe, UK uh, for sure. Um, Not just because we are in the UK, but I think the UK market is is one where finance and trading and fintech is, is very prevalent, particularly in the city of London, which is where we're based. But also across Europe, uh, we have a very large user group. But also in uh, other parts of uh, the world, Eastern Europe, uh, Russia, uh, we have a lot of users. We have lots of users in Africa, countries like Nigeria are very popular. Also Latin America, Brazil, 
Argentina and also across Asia. So we're very distributed in terms of our, our user base. Um, those countries that you mentioned, Brazil or Russia, is that also for the exchange or just for the wallet? Because I would think that people in Russia would need like a local on-ramp option to use exchange or are they using it with other means? Yeah, uh, for sure. That's for both the, the wallet and the exchange. Okay. We don't currently have a fiat on-ramp in Russia. Uh, we'd love to. And we'll let you know as soon as we're able to do that. But we have lots of clients who trade either crypto to crypto. So uh, Bitcoin into Ether uh, within the wallet or Bitcoin using uh, Tether on the exchange. So okay. it's not just uh, countries where we have the immediate fear on ramp, where we're popular. Yeah. And how many months have you been live with that exchange now? So we launched the exchange in Q3 last year. So we've been, we've been live since then, but we've really seen the, the ramp up in activity um, in the last quarter of 2019 and the first half of, of this year. And I suppose you're uh, leveraging your existing user base from the wallet. I think you have 40 million users there. Are they all coming to the exchange now or how has the experience been there? Yeah, so it's all about finding the right product for the right user. Uh, not every person using the wallet wants to be an active trader. Some people using the wallet just want to use it to, to store crypto and look at it you know, once, once a month or every now and again. Other people want to be trading it every day. Um, and for those users, the right place to do that is on an exchange. So it's really about making sure the product is correct for the user. And once we know what the users want, we provide the product and direct them towards that, that thing. And yeah, you mentioned the on-ramp option in Turkey. Why did you decide to add uh, Turkey as a next market? I mean, for one, it's a large market for us anyway. Um, so we have a lot of wallet users in Turkey. Uh, it's also a country where crypto is very popular. In fact, I think it's one of the largest countries in terms of percentage of the population who own crypto. And I think sitting where it does both physically and culturally People there are very used to trading FX, um, foreign exchange, but also very used to markets and trading in general. So it seemed like a natural place uh, for us to grow in. And because we uh, had an advantage by being able to obtain the correct ba uh, banking and on-ramps, we felt we had a really key uh, USP in that market. Are you going to look at other, let's say, non-Western markets? Um... Maybe India, they just um, changed their crypto regulation. Uh, that could definitely be an interesting market. But maybe Africa, what, what, what are your next markets? For sure, yeah, we're exploring um, many options. Uh, India is, of course, a really fascinating country. We actually went to India uh, a few years ago to, to really understand that market better. Uh, and it's very complicated. Uh, but of course, huge opportunity, which is also true in, in Africa. I think in places where the people really are unbanked and, and financial inclusion really is a problem, I think the long-term story for crypto is extremely positive. And, and these are the places we want to provide people new tools and products for improving their financial lives. Um, and so, yes, of course, these sorts of markets are where we would like to, to grow in over time. How are you looking at new trends such as uh, DeFi? Personally, I think DeFi has 
in the past year really grown up a lot. I mean, it's still small compared to centralized um, offerings, centralized exchanges or centralized lending, but it's definitely growing and there's some interest from VCs and other investors who are like funding projects. So it's, it's definitely gaining traction. And I, I've seen a very different approach from one exchange to another, like Coinbase, I think is very supportive of DeFi. The other day they announced like a price oracle for DeFi projects and uh, their staking service supports voting uh, for projects that require like participation and voting and stuff. And yeah, lots of other aspects. Then there's, I think Kraken is more like focused on, on Bitcoin. Binance is trying to build its own decentralized uh, exchange and its own chain. What is blockchain's approach or are you observing what is happening in the DeFi space at all? Absolutely. Yeah. I personally think DeFi is extremely interesting and I think DeFi really represents the, I guess, the, the need to have true self-sovereignty over assets and money in a non-custodial way. And that's what it's about to some extent, decentralization and removing uh, central intermediaries like banks from, from that equation. So when, you, when it boils down to it, it does require robust private key management. And so I think there are some fantastic opportunities out there, but I think getting the, the basics right again is really important. And for me, that's where most of our attention and exploration lies. So I'm talking about better ways to manage private keys, potentially abstracting away the, the management of private keys from consumers in a fashion where it's easier to use non-custodial wallets like the blockchain.com wallet, potentially abstracting away addresses, uh, making it easier to, to send to people, but also in a secure way. So there's some really, really big challenges with DeFi, but I think the, the long-term potential is, is really, really meaningful. And in terms of what we're doing, apart from obviously exploring uh, those basic technology questions, we also have partnerships with protocol projects and teams looking to build decentralized infrastructure. So we announced the Blockstack partnership at the end of last year and did a large distribution of stacks to our users. And we've also announced a partnership with Algorand as well to, to bring to market some of the fantastic things which they are building in, in the years ahead. So I think, yeah, in summary, huge potential. We're very interested, but I guess we do also have a responsibility to our users not to bring things to market which aren't ready. So we're very focused on making sure that things are robust and safe uh, before we push them out to millions of users around the world. Yeah, for sure. Um, we, you mentioned abstracting away addresses. Out of curiosity, like one project that I really like in the Ethereum space is ENS, so the Ethereum naming service. Is that something that potentially could be integrated into blockchain or like a blockchain wallet, for example, or is that not the kind of solution that you're looking at? We're definitely looking at it. Um, and we have people working on investigating the details of, of that project and, and similar ones. Obviously, there's always a lot of debate and discussion around which ones are, are the best and, and which way we should go forward. I can say that we have some really great people, some very smart people in-house uh, looking at these and figuring out which ones are best for our wallet and for our users. And I think the, the future around that area is really bright and, 
and really interesting. Yeah, cool. Um, have you ever considered doing any acquisitions or ha has that ever happened? I'm not aware of any. Yes. Um, so we do do acquisitions. Uh, we've done a few. One which we announced publicly was the acquisition of a company called Stratagem, which happened in 2000, end of 2018. That was a really interesting acquisition because Stratagem was a, a company built by a chap called Charlie, who's now our chief of strategy officer. And the company focused on machine learning and applied data science to trading um, and, and to financial markets. And so we acquired that company and, and with it brought over some really talented data scientists, trading infrastructure, engineers and, and markets professionals. Uh, so that was a really great fit. And we've seen we've had some other acquisitions as well, which have worked out great. Okay. What are you thinking about Binance's acquisition of CoinMarketCap? Is that, uh, yeah, so the, the reason that they bought CoinMarketCap was uh, because they wanted to have all the traffic that is coming through CoinMarketCap. I think CoinMarketCap has like 400 million unique uh, visitors each month, people who are yeah, um, looking at crypto prices, Googling things like, Uh, yeah, Bitcoin price or any other token price, and then they land on Coin Market Cap. And I think the hope from Binance is to capitalize on on that and place some banners there to to uh, acquire customers. Yeah, what are your thoughts on on that acquisition? And would you consider doing something similar? I think Coin Market Cap is a, a great example of a company that did something, did one thing really well, and, and gave the consumer exactly what they wanted immediately, which was a place to go where you can really quickly see the price of crypto. And that's a great, simple strategy. And it's done extremely well for that company um, and, gave them, and, and gained them a huge amount of traffic. And of course, we know that traffic is really valuable because people checking the price are likely to be people who also want to trade or do other things with crypto and, and use different products. So I think the acquisition from Binance is completely logical. Um, They probably use it as another um, user acquisition funnel. So I can completely see the logic of, of what they've done. As to uh, our own strategy, I think, like we talked about before, we do see a lot of traffic uh, organically to both the blockchain.com site, but also the uh, Explorer and data products. So going after additional traffic is obviously something we always look to do, but isn't an area where we're currently weak uh, as a company. Yeah, um, I did not think about that. That makes total sense. You have your own sort of coin market cap uh, with your blockchain explorer. Yeah, um, let's talk about the loan feature. I, I'm not sure if it's a completely new feature, but at least I only noticed it recently in the blockchain wallet. So people can lock their Bitcoin, deposit it as collateral and receive tax stablecoin in return, which is a, a dollar stablecoin. And then they, they have to pay interest on, on that loan, obviously, but it's secured by their Bitcoin collateral. My question is, how come you chose tax stablecoin and not, for example, USDC? How do exchanges generally make those sort of decisions? Because I've noticed, I, I went to the website of PAX stablecoin and then USDC. I, I kind of see a regional cluster almost where PAX is more dominant amongst uh, Asian exchanges and USDC is sort of more um, 
yeah, Kraken, Coinbase, or I would say Western exchanges. Would you agree? Yeah, so I guess the question of why we went with PAX for the lending product probably goes back to like, what are we doing with the lending product? And the, the retail lending product is, as you described, a product whereby a user can lock up uh, Bitcoin and using that as collateral can go and get a, a dollar loan. I think that's a really, to me, a really interesting product because it's a way of unlocking value from your existing crypto holdings without selling the asset itself. The, I mean, traditional markets rely on what's known as the repo market, i.e. securing an asset like uh, a bond or a, a stock to get cash. And seeing this sort of develop in the crypto market, I think is going to be key for the overall market evolution. And so what we're doing with the retail side was just emulating what we're already doing on the institutional side, where we have a large uh, lending operation where we lend to uh, crypto companies and other sorts of companies secured by digital assets like Bitcoin uh, and others. And we wanted to provide the same uh, opportunity to our retail users. So the, the question of why PACs, um, I think the, the stablecoin market, and we, we actually added PACs um, quite some time ago now. Um, and we, we did so by just looking at the market. Uh, and at the time, you had three stablecoin projects in the US, which are, were very similar, right? The product was basically identical. You had PAX, you had USDC, uh, and you had Gemini. And each of these was an ERC-20 asset backed by dollars in regulated banks in the US. So they were all basically the same risk in terms of the underlying asset and bank. And so it just came down to a decision around uh, one, branding, but also how much we, how well we work with the respective teams uh, and where we thought that those projects were going. I, I personally like Paxos because Chad, uh, the CEO, there's a great, great guy. They've got a really good team and they're doing some really interesting stuff in the, the overall uh, infrastructure area of digital assets. And um, we've just seen that with the uh, announcement and uh, growth of PAX Gold. Um, and I think they'll be doing some other interesting things around tokenization. But essentially, the, the key product is a US-backed stablecoin. And that's what we wanted to provide to our users. And so we just chose the, the one that seemed best fitted to our, our platform. Yeah, but with stablecoins, it's also a lot about providing the stablecoin to users that has the most sort of liquidity and the most acceptance and we do see a lot of divergence there between the different stable coins like tether yeah is clearly dominating and if, if that turns out to be the case even more in the next years would you consider adding other stable coins or is this a strategy where you go with one and try to make that the like the one that users choose so we're, we're always looking to add high quality assets uh, and in the future we hope to add many more high quality assets to both the, the wallet and the exchange uh, but we also try and balance that with making things easy to understand for users so having loads of different stable coins in the wallet would be probably confusing so we just make sure that what we're offering is simple and clear and provides the utility that the the wallet user needs now if they need liquidity, which is not being able to be provided by something which we currently have, then of course we will look at other ways to provide that liquidity to, to customers. And that might be adding liquidity ourselves into 
the, the wallet um, to allow trading of the asset or looking at other assets to add to, to the platform. Mm-hmm. And did you build this lending product in-house or is that through a partnership? Uh, in-house. Everything, I mean, we're very much an in-house uh, type company in terms of our infrastructure um, and our, our stack. Uh, we like to make sure that it's of the highest quality and we have the, the team who are able to do it. And so, uh, yeah, we, we generally build things in-house where we can. Yeah. And w- what happens with the Bitcoin that users um, put up as collateral? Are you, is it, are you just using it as a security or are you lending it out to institutional investors, for example? We, we generally just use it as security for the loan. And we, we get money from the, the interest rate on the uh, stablecoin lent to us. Okay. And what's the uh, ratio? Like how, how much collateral do users have to put up to get a, a loan? It, it changes depending on the market conditions. But generally, we, we look to have loans collateralized between 150% and 200%. Okay. Yeah, that was uh, super interesting. I think um, I yeah, got to answer all my questions. Um, thank you very much. Hey, no problem at all. Yeah, anytime.